7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, it is 3 p.m. in London Town, it's 11 o'clock at night in Kyoto, Japan, and here in Malaysia, it's 1964. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants! Welcome in... <laughs> Crystal Violin, hello, good to see you, the old man with no pants, yes, and thank you for being a no-pants weirdo. Uh, it's an elite club, only a select few managed to get in, and you uh, are a gold club member in the no-pants weirdos. <laughs> Uh, Mohanid, I'm here only to say an extremely bad word that will ruin the stream tonight. Okay, I'll wait. Go ahead. Poop. <laughs> All right, you win. <laughs> you know what? It's been that kind of a week here, Mohanid. If, if it could all be summed up in just one word, poop would be it. Yes. <laughs> uh, man, somehow all the way there in Saudi Arabia, you've managed to figure it out. Poop. Hiya. <laughs> hey, uh, thank you for just stopping by. And uh, don't forget if you are uh, on YouTube, at J. Sheldon Malaysia on YouTube, subscribe, please. We need the subscriptions and I appreciate those of you who have. 334, I think, subscriptions. We're doing very well. Keep it going. Up, 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 up. And uh, twitch.tv. Thank you, folks. Um, also listening in over at Twitch. And, of course, um, uh, Facebook. Facebook Live, where you can like and subscribe and share the uh, broadcast. We also have on uh, YouTube and on Facebook our Not Wearing Pants shorts which is just little bits and segments. There's, I don't know, there's like a hundred of them, at least something like that. Little shorts, snippets, because our show is a bunch of collection of collated crap from the internet. And so we just took them and cut them up into little pieces and you can see them there. So um, yeah, check that out. Um, Mom didn't get the vax yet because she just didn't, I guess. At least that'll keep me out of school for a little bit. <laughs> okay, well, you guys go ahead and, and chit-chat if you, if you want about that. That's fine. Uh, let's see. We, we Actually, we're going to do something about that tonight. A very funny piece I saw. I'm not sure who wrote this. I'll see if I can figure that out and give a hat tip credit because we always like to give credit where credit's due for the things that we... Uh, we share with you on, on the show here. But uh, also, hello and welcome to our uh, podcast listeners who are listening to the audio-only portion of this show. We are a podcast across all the platforms, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, uh, Amazon, um, wherever you listen to your podcast. Search Jay Sheldon No Pants or I'm Not Wearing Pants. You'll find that logo, and that's us. Subscribe, download, and thank you. Numbers are doing great. We appreciate that over there also. And if you would like to actually reach in your wallet, crack it open, and slip me a fiver, 
You can do that on Patreon.com. Just search Jay Sheldon and you will find me at Patreon.com and support the show. There's three different tier levels. The first one is just to support and it's very minimal cost to you, but we really appreciate it. Every little bit helps. Second tier level, you get a, a little bonus of all of our books that we've read, all the classic books cut out of the show and organized by chapters or part one, two, three, four, five. And it's like listening to an audiobook. It's just me reading all the chapters in the book. We're going to continue tonight, by the way, with the Jungle Book, and we are on the last chapter. One more chapter to go, and then we're done with the Jungle Book. Then we've got one short little uh, single-show book. It's a cute little children's book. You've got to get the kids for this one. I know this show's on a little, a little late for kids, probably not here in Malaysia because I see kids running around at one o'clock in the morning. Um, but it's just going to take one show to do the whole book. It's a very short, cute little book. And uh, we'll have that for you coming up after uh, we finish the Jungle Book. So anyway, you can also find once we finish the Jungle Book and if you're on a second tier level at Patreon, you, you will find all of the Jungle Book that I've read. Over the past, uh, it seems like five years. Um, no, it's been a long book, but yeah. Um, there we go. All right, what else? Oh, I know what we got. We got this. Miko Update. Miko Update. Yay. <laughs> Uh, it's a very quick update tonight, but just I uh, wanted to share that she's actually not feeling very well. She was kind of refusing her food. She's been, eh, she's always a little fussy eater. Um, and I told you before about the hand feeding crap. Yeah, she's still doing that. But um, <laughs> yeah, Miko is doing all right. She's better tonight. She's playing around with my other half downstairs. And, and she seems to be feeling all right. But she refuses to eat today. She had a bit of, um, I'll just go ahead and say it because I always just go ahead and say things. She had a bit of diarrhea today. She threw up this morning. And yeah, so, but other than that, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the show? Other than that, she's, uh, she seems all right. She's full of energy. She's playing and fighting and running around. Went for a nice long walk tonight. So um, she's doing well. Mohammed says, "Ah, Miko, I missed her." <laughs> and Crystal says, "Miko, yeah, Miko is is down. She, I don't think I can get her up here on the show tonight. If if she pops in later, we'll pull her up and we'll uh, we'll see we'll see what she has to say. So uh, yeah, that's our our Miko update for uh, for tonight. What else have we, uh, what else? Yes, thank you, Mohana, to appreciate that. She's doing better. She's doing a lot better. But yeah, she's had, she always has a tender stomach. Every little thing seems to bother her. So eh, we'll, we'll see. Okay. Um, I'm going to play a little piece of something to start the show off tonight. And I'm going to try and get the audio to work. I can't promise that it will, but we'll try. Um, now, my voice will double during this because it always happens. I don't know why. I can't play too much of this or I'm going to get a copyright strike. But if if you are probably below 30, 40, 
you have no idea who these two guys are. But these are an old comedy duo who started on radio before there was television, moved to television. Faiz, Isma, hey! Good to see you, Faiz. Thanks for popping in over there on Facebook. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Um, yes, yeah, so these guys are Abbott and Costello. They are so famous, you, you've got to have heard of them. And one of their most famous routines, funny as hell, is called Who's On First? This is just a, I'm, I can't play too much of this or I'm going to get a hit, but this just a little piece of this to show you what I'm talking about, which will explain what I'm going to do next. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> well, let's see. Now, we have on our team, we have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find then, out, the guy's name. And then, uh -huh. That's what I want to find out, the guy's name. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you now, going to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's names? Well, I should. Well, now, you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You look. ain't said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's... <laughs> All right, so that's Abbott and Costello's Who's on first? Go to go to YouTube and just type in Abbott and Costello, who's on first. You can watch the whole clip. It's damn funny. You've got to, got to, got to check it out. It's comedy like, unfortunately, we don't much do anymore. But uh, it's amazing stuff. All right. So having said that, and now having seen who's on first, if if you know the sketch, you got to check this out because uh, Bob Heaney, I'm going to guess he probably wrote this. No, it says copied from a friend. So I'm sorry, I can't give credit to who wrote it, but it's brilliant. In, uh, in Malaysia, in some areas, and the rules are so screwed up and convoluted, no one can figure out, can I bring my kids if I'm vaccinated, if I'm not vaccinated? Uh, what do I do? Uh, can I go here? Can I go there? If I've got one dose, if it's 14 days after I got two doses, take one from left, one from right, put them together, you get egg roll. I, that's actually what it's like, trying to figure out what you can and can't do. So anyway, this, <laughs> it's so small, you probably won't be able to read it, but I'll put it up on screen just in case. It's from Bob Heaney, hat tip to Bob and whoever wrote it, because it's brilliant. I'm not going to try and do Abbott and Costello's voices, but you'll be able to figure this out pretty quickly. Abbott and Costello's Who's Been Vaccinated? Bud starts off saying, you can't come in here. And Lou says, why not? Well, because you're unvaccinated. But I'm not sick. Doesn't matter. Well, why does the guy get to? Why does that guy get to go in? Well, because he's vaccinated. But he's sick. It's all right. Everyone in here is vaccinated. Uh, wait a minute. Are you saying everyone in there is vaccinated? Yes. So then, why can't I go in there if everyone's vaccinated? Because you'll make them sick. How will I make them sick if I'm not sick and they're vaccinated? Uh, because you're unvaccinated. But they're vaccinated, but they can still get sick. So what the heck does a vaccine do? It vaccinates. Uh, so vaccinated people can't spread COVID? Uh, uh, no, they can, uh, just as easily as an unvaccinated person. Uh, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Look, I'm not sick. Okay, but 
The guy you let in is sick. That's right. And everybody in there can still get sick even though they're vaccinated. Certainly. So why can't I go in again? Because you're unvaccinated. I'm not asking who's vaccinated or not. I'm just telling you how it is. Never mind, I'll put on my mask. Oh, that's fine. Now can I go in? Absolutely not. But I have a mask. Doesn't matter. I was able to come in here yesterday with a mask. I know. So why can't I come in here today with a mask? If you say because I'm vaccinated again, I'll break your arm. Take it easy, buddy. So the mask is no good anymore? Mm, No, it's still good. But I can't come in. Correct. Why not? Because you're unvaccinated. But the mask prevents the germs from getting out. Yes, but people can still catch your germs. But they're all vaccinated. Uh, Yeah, but they can still get sick. But I'm not sick. You can still get them sick. So then the masks don't work. Masks work quite well. So how in the heck can I get unvaccinated people sick if I'm not sick and the masks work? Third base. And scene. (laughs) Oh, man. That is a classic. (laughs) A takeoff on Abbott and Costello's Who's on First? Third base. (laughs) Oh, man. That is brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of vaccinated. (laughs) Yes, I'm still under house arrest. (laughs) I am still under house arrest. Okay. Uh, We promised you some freaky fracks. uh, Freaky fracks. Freaky 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 My mouth just stopped working which for a voice talent is not a good thing to have happen. <laughs> All right, bear with me, folks. Oh, yeah. Okay, we promised you some freaky facts, and I've got one of them. But I will tell you that if you go to Amazing Humans and check out their website, <laughs> you, yeah, mouth exec stop working. Um, I found this from the Amazing Human site, and it's freaky. Listen, I don't know if you can read ahead. If you want to, go ahead. And by the way, if you're listening to the podcast, if you want to watch the video of our show, rumble.com slash Pants. All of them are free. You can sign up for an account absolutely free. A lot of cool videos over there. Rumble.com. They are kicking YouTube's But, by the way, we strongly encourage you to go to a site that does not censor, that does not use any form of censorship, and you can pretty much post what you want, including this weird-ass show. But, uh, I mean, there's no reason for them to censor this show. Even YouTube doesn't censor my show, because I'm pretty milquetoast with that kind of crap. Occasionally, but, you know. Anyway, um, making fun of the vaccines tonight. It might be a first for us. Anyway, so um, if you want, uh, it's rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants. And uh, it's free membership. doesn't cost you a dime. And we could use the subscriptions over there. So thank you for that. All right, here we go. In 2004, listen close. The Sri Lankan national handball team was visiting Germany for a sports exchange program when the entire team of 23 men disappeared. At first, organizers of the event thought that they'd gotten lost while they were jogging in the woods, and then a note was found saying they'd gone to France. Finally, they reported 
We now know they crossed into Italy. They even left their dirty laundry. And that is where the trail ended. The story gets weirder. When the vanishing was reported back to the Sri Lankan government, they told the Germans, we don't have a national handball team. Yeah, really? How weird is that? We don't have a national handball team. So, there you go. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, let me click on this link here. I'll do this live, which is a bit dangerous, but we'll try. Yeah, okay, it's uh, Ranker.com. Uh, again, one of these clickbaity things, but this article is really cool, so do check this out. Ten of the creepiest, freakiest facts we learned this week, and this is the one that I just shared with you from the odd Sri Lankan handball team that never existed, and they all just disappeared. Uh, it might explain why the team performed poorly throughout the tournaments before they fled. <laughs> a portal opened. You're right, Crystal. I think so. Uh, anyway, they, they've got a bunch of uh, articles and numbers. There's like 10 top weird things. The Tsar bomb, which was a nuclear bomb that Russia tested in 1961, it had a blast so large that sensors detected the blast wave orbiting the Earth three times. It was more than 1,500 times more powerful than the devices used on both Nagasaki and Hiroshima combined. That is insane. All right, and I have to share this one because it's pants on fire. And you know, we are, I'm not wearing pants, so hey. An epic, oh no, here we go again. An epidemic of exploding pants emerged in the 1930s New Zealand among the country's farmers. Trousers would burst into flames, seemingly at random, while hanging from laundry lines. And even while being worn, it caused, obviously, some pretty serious industries, in injuries and even a loss of life. Eventually, they figured it out. They realized the cause was the increasing use of sodium chlorate as a weed aside in New Zealand on the farms. They had already extremely volatile substance, would become even more dangerous when it was absorbed with the cotton and wool, far, wool fibers. You're seeing a breakdown here live on the internet, and that's me, I'm having one. It become even more dangerous when it was absorbed with the cotton and wool fibers in farmers' pants as they sprayed it on the crop. So they're spraying this sodium chlorate weedicide, and it combines with their pants. And once absorbed, a minor change in temperature was all it took, and the pants caught fire. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, this goes on and on and on. Check it out. Ranker.com is the site and a hat tip to them for some very freaky things going on over there, including a disappearing handball team. <laughs> All right. What else are we doing? Ah, this is quick, but I had to share it because I found it and I loved it. Again, Bashir Khan made this public post. 
It just kind of says it all, and it applies to so much these days. The problem is not people being uneducated. The problem is they're just educated enough to believe what they've been taught and not educated enough to question what they've been taught. Mmm. Truer words, my friends. Truer words. Okay. That is, uh, that's probably the heaviest we're going to get tonight. Uh, <laughs> I got to share this. Alvin, I hope you don't mind. I really hope you don't mind, Alvin. But it's a public post, so fair game. If you'd made it private or friends only, I'd say I'm pretty smart. Good for you, Crystal. If you'd made this friends only or private post, I wouldn't share it, of course, respect. But it's a public post. Anyone, even if you're not on Facebook, can see this. So I got to share it because it's the coolest thing. We love this. Let's make an 80s mixtape. Now, I realize a lot of you were not even born in the 80s. Some of you were just born, maybe halfway through the 80s. I was in my 30s in the 80s. Yeah, I'm just that old. Okay, 20s and 30s. Somewhere around there. I don't want to figure it out. I was an adult in the 80s, okay? I was in radio in the 80s. I was playing a lot of these songs on the radio back in the 80s. And so this is the coolest idea. I'll add 90s rap and then lie and say it's 80s rap. <laughs> so uh, Alvin posts this thing. that just It's got a, a picture of an old cassette player. Yeah, some of you are saying, what's a cassette? And it says, let's make a 1980s mixtape. Everybody add a song. And so they began. People started posting YouTube videos. I can't play them because I'll get copyright strikes. But these are great. What a, what a kickback. This is such a cool thing. Uh, England Dan and John Ford Coley, Broken Hearted Me. Uh, John Hammer, Crockett's Theme from Miami Vice. That's a cool one. Seals and Crofts. I love Seals and Crofts. I haven't listened to them. Ah, man. Summer Breeze makes me feel fine. Ah, good song. Uh, Windflowers. Um, Sweet Dreams, The Eurythmics. This is a cool mixtape. Uh, Laurie Anderson, Oh Superman. Evergreen from A Star is Born. These are great. Uh, Bette Midler, The Rose, also from the 80s. Culture Club, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? I met Boy George once. He was a cool guy, very cool guy. He was DJing in Key West when I would live there. Um, let's see. Andy Gibb, I just want to be your everything. Open up your heaven. Ah, oh, man, that's a good tune. What else have we got? Duran Duran, Girls on Film. Yes. Peter Gabriel, Don't Give Up with Kate Bush. Oh, what a song. That gets me right in the feels every time. That is a brilliant song. Uh, the Romantics, Talking in Your Sleep. REO Speedwagon, Keep on Loving You. I used that in my very first feature film. Uh, Paul Simon, 
You can call me Al with Chevy Chase in the in the music video. That is a cool one. Oh man, you can call Tears for Fears, Mad World, Wham, Last Christmas. Yep. Heart Alone. I love Heart. Uh, you cannot go wrong listening to some Heart. We are Singapore. The 1987 theme song from the NDP. What the hell is that? Madonna, La Isla Bonita. Another great song. Enya, uh, Orinoco Flow. Brilliant tune. Imagine Just an Illusion. David Soul. Don't, I thought that was the 70s. Don't give up on us. Don't give up on us, baby. Maybe it was the 80s. Of course, I had to put my two cents in. And I had to, of course, add this. Rick Astley, never going to give you up. Yeah, never going to give you up. <laughs> uh, the list goes on and on, but th can you, what a great mixtape. This truly would make an excellent mixtape. This is such a cool idea. So there you go. Thank you, Alvin, for sharing that. And that, that was brilliant. Really, really cool. Really good idea. I think I'm going to post that on, I'm going to steal your idea of, and I'll post it on my Facebook page and see what else people come up with. That's a really cool thing. I love that. All right. What else have we got? One or two more uh, little things here. Uh, no big deal, but oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this one. This is cool. My friend Eddie from Thailand. Um, it's just a little short saying, but it's meaningful. And I think I wanted to share it with you. So I'm going to do that now. Thank you, Eddie. It says, if you're like me, you've spent your life, no matter where you are or who you're amongst thinking, I'm not one of you. It's at times like these, when I realize I was created this way for times just like now. And I'm so grateful that I don't fit or belong to a world gone mad. Well said, my friend. Well said. Indeed. Uh, I love Killer Queen by Queen. Yeah, some Queen stuff on that mixtape would be an excellent idea. Really good. Really, really good. Okay, another website, uh, actually a Facebook page called Have You Ever Been So Lonely? I know it's a weird name for a Facebook page, but they share some really cool stuff. And this is from Stacy Martin. Uh, I don't know who Stacy Martin is. I assume some sort of writer because she wrote something very nice. And this is it. I was told what was important before I had a chance to decide what was important to me. I was given a religion before I could decide in what it was I wanted to believe. I was told who was in power before I had a chance to decide the type of system I thought should lead. I was given a social class before I had a chance to decide to class myself as I deemed. I was told what was already impossible before I had a chance to decide what it is I'd like to dream. I've been told since day one what it's all supposed to mean. But I've had the chance to decide, and it's not 
what it once seemed. Again, truer words. Stacy Martin, thank you very much for that. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Really, really nice. Cool beans. All right. How about that? Well, my friends, it's time that we move on and up and get ourselves into some classic literature. Hang on. I thought that wouldn't unmute for a minute. But it did. <laughs> All right. Where are we going? Where are we going? Where am Here we go. Mr. Producer, that's also me. Um, <laughs> here we go. Let's get the slides up there, shall we? Uh, yeah, we're doing the Jungle Book, and we've been doing the Jungle Book for what seems like a year and a half. Um, it's a long book that Rudyard Kipling wrote back in 1894, but a good one. Uh, absolutely nothing like the film, but we've found that out over Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, uh, The Wizard of Oz, how different the original books are, which is another cool thing. And one of the reasons I love reading these, because <clears throat> because uh, they are so different. You can see where the films or the writers of the films got their ideas from. But to put all of that into a 90-minute or maybe two-hour film... Obviously, they made a lot of cuts and edits and changes to the original books, but we're doing the original classics. They're in the public domain, and we want to thank Gutenberg.org, where you'll find all these books, fantastic books. And um, uh, one more thing I just want to let you know. I'm, I'm going to reveal it now, if you're still with me. But we're after we're done with The Jungle Book, we're going to do Peter Cottontail. It's such a cute little story. It's a very short story. It'll only take one stream. We'll get read the whole thing all the way through. We've got all the pictures from the original book. And I'm going to do uh, Peter Cottontail coming up after we're done with The Jungle Book. Whenever that is, if it's tonight or the next night, I think either tonight or the next night, we will finish. But... Um, yeah, Crystal, you're right. I always wondered what happens to Mowgli at the end of the Disney movie, the animated one. Well, Mowgli is out of this story. After we were done with Mowgli and the, the lion and Baloo and everything and the monkeys, the rest of the Jungle Book, which was a good three quarters or two thirds of the rest of the book, had nothing to do with Mowgli. Um, and so anyway, we just finished the chapter with the elephants. So that had all to do with the Mahouts and the little Mahout uh, kid. So anyway, uh, we're going to do Peter Cottontail next. It takes just one stream to read that book. It'll be a lot of fun. Be a good one for the kids. And after that, we have decided that we are going to do H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Yes. Yes. It's a long one. I'll warn you. It's probably longer than The Jungle Book. But it's cool. Again, varies a lot from the film, but it's really so well written. If you've never read the original War of the Worlds, must, must listen up for this. We're going to do that. So we'll have uh, one little mini book, and then we'll get into H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, which will be coming up. All right. Right now it is time to get into and head towards the ending of Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. And this starts, this chapter, uh, called 
Her Majesty's Servants. And it always starts a chapter with a little poem. You can work it out by fractions or by simple rule of three. But the way of Tweedledum is not the way of Tweedledee. You can twist it, you can turn it, you can plate it till you drop. But the way of Pillywinkies, not the way of Winky Pop. It had been raining heavily for one whole month, raining on a camp of 30,000 men, thousands of camels, elephants, horses, bullocks, and mules all gathered together at a place called Rawalpindi to be reviewed by the Viceroy of India. He was receiving a visit from the Amir of Afghanistan, a wild king of a very wild country. This was 1894 when this was written. The Amir had brought with him for a bodyguard 800 men and horses who had never seen a camp or a locomotive before in their lives. Savage men and savage horses from somewhere at the back of Central Asia. Every night, a mob of these horses would be sure to break their heel ropes and stampede up and down the camp, through the mud in the dark, or the camels would break loose and run about and fall over the ropes of the tents, and you can imagine how pleasant that was for men trying to sleep. My tent lay far away from the camel lines, and I thought I was safe. But one night, a man popped his head in and shouted, Get out, quick! They're coming! My tent is gone! I knew who they were, so I put on my boots and waterproof and scuttled out into the slush. Little Vixen, my fox terrier, went out through the other side, and then there was a roaring and a grunting and bubbling, and I saw the tent cave in. As the pole snapped and began to dance about like a mad ghost, a camel had blundered into it, and wet and angry as I was, I could not help but laugh. Then I ran on because I did not know how many camels might have gotten loose, and before long I was out of sight of the camp and plowing my way through the mud. At last, I fell over the tail end of a gun, and by that I knew I was somewhere near the artillery lines where the cannon were stacked at night. As I did not want to plowter about any more in the drizzle and dark, I put my waterproof over the muzzle of one gun and made a sort of wigwam with two or three rammers that I found and lay along the tail of another gun, wondering where Vixen had to go and where I might be. And just as I was getting ready to go to sleep, I heard a jingle of harness and a grunt, and a mule passed me, shaking his wet ears. He belonged to a screw-gun battery, for I could hear the rattle of the straps and rings and chains and things on his saddle pad. The screw-guns are tiny little cannons made in two pieces. They're screwed together when the time comes to use them. They're taken up mountains or anywhere that a mule can find a road, 
and they're very useful for fighting in rocky country. Now behind the mule, there was a camel with his big soft feet squelching and slipping in the mud and his neck bobbing to and fro like strayed hens. Well, luckily, I knew enough of beast language, not wild beast language, but camp beast language, of course, from the natives to know what he was saying. He must have been the one that flopped into my tent, for he called to the mule, what shall I do? Where shall I go? I've, I've fought with a white thing that waved, and it took a stick and hit me on the neck. That was my broken tent pole, and I was very glad to know it. Shall we run on? Oh, it was you, said the mule. You and your friends that have been disturbing the camp. All right, you'll be beaten for this in the morning, but I may as well give you something on account now. I heard the harness jingle as the mule backed and caught the camel, two kicks in the rib that rang like a drum. Another time, he said, you'll know better than to run through a mule battery at night, shouting, thieves and fire, sit down and keep your silly neck quiet. The camel doubled up, camel fashion like a two-foot rule, and sat down whimpering. There was a regular beat of hoofs in the darkness, and a big troop horse cantered up as steadily as though he were on parade, jumped the gun tail, and landed close to the mule. It's disgraceful, he said, blowing out his nostrils. Those camels have racketed through our lines again, third time this week. How's a horse to keep his condition if he isn't allowed to sleep? Who's here? I'm the breech-piece mule of number two gun of the first screw battery, said the mule. And the other's one of your friends. He waked me up, too. Who are you? Number 15, E-Troop, Ninth Lancers. Dick Cunliffe's horse. Stand a little over there. Oh, Beg your pardon, said the mule. It's too dark to see much. Aren't these camels too sickening for anything? I walked out of my lines to get a little peace and quiet here. My lord, said the camel humbly. We dreamed bad dreams in the night, and we were very much afraid. I'm only a baggage camel of the 39th Native Infantry, and I'm not as brave as you are, my lords. Then why didn't you stay and carry baggage for the 39th Native Infantry instead of running all around the camp, said the mule. Oh, they were very bad dreams, said the camel. I am sorry. Listen, what is that? Shall we run on again? Sit down, said the mule, or you'll snap your long stick legs between the guns. He cocked one ear and listened. Bullocks, he said. Gun bullocks. On my word, you and your friends have waked the camp very thoroughly. It takes a good deal of prodding to put up a gun bullock. I heard a chain dragging along the ground and a yoke of the great sulky white bullocks that dragged the heavy siege guns when the elephants won't go any nearer to the firing. Came shouldering along together, Almost stepping on the chain was another battery mule calling wildly for Billy. 
That's one of our recruits, said the old mule to the troop horse. He's calling for me. Here, youngster, stop squealing. The dark never hurt anybody. Yet. The gun bullocks lay down together and began chewing the cud, but the young mule huddled close to Billy. Things, he said, fearful and horrible, Billy. They came into our lines while we were asleep. Do you think they'd kill us? I have a very great mind to give you a number one kicking, said Billy. The idea of a fourteen-hand mule with your training disgracing the battery before this gentleman. Gently, gently, said the troop horse. Remember, they're always like this to begin with. The first time I ever saw a man, it was in Australia when I was a three-year-old. I ran for half a day. And if I'd seen a camel, I should have been running still. Nearly all our horses for the English cavalry were brought to India from Australia and are broken in by the troopers themselves. True enough, said Billy. Stop shaking, youngster. The first time they put the full harness with all its chains on my back, I stood on my forelegs and kicked every bit of it off. I hadn't learned the real science of kicking then, but the battery said they had never seen anything like it. But this wasn't harness or anything that jingled, said the young mule. You know, I don't mind that now, Billy. It was things like trees. They fell up and down the lines and bubbled, and, and my head broke, and I couldn't find my driver, and I couldn't find you, Billy, so, so I ran off. With these gentlemen. Hmm, said Billy. As soon as I heard the camels were loose, I came away on my own account. When a battery, a screw-gun mule, calls gun bullocks, gentlemen, he must be very badly shaken up. Who are you fellows on the ground there? The gun bullocks rolled their cuds and answered both together. The seventh yoke of the first gun of the big gun battery. We were asleep when the camels came, but when we were trampled on, we got up and walked away. Better to lie quiet in the mud than to be disturbed on good bedding. We told your friends here that he was nothing to be afraid of, but he knew so much that he thought otherwise. And they went on chewing. That comes of being afraid, said Billy. You get laughed at by gun bullocks. I hope you like it, young'un. The young mule's teeth snapped, and I heard him say something about not being afraid of any beefy old bullock in the world. But the bullocks only clicked their horns together and went on chewing. Now, don't be angry after you've been afraid. That is the worst kind of cowardice, said the troop horse. Anybody can be forgiven for being scared in the night, I think, if they see things they don't understand. We've broken out of our pickets again and again, 450 of us, just because a new recruit got to telling tales of whip snakes at home in Australia till we were scared to death of the loose ends of our head ropes. That's all very well in camp, said Billy. I'm, I'm not above stampeding myself for the fun of the thing, but 
when I haven't been out for a day or two, but what do you do on active service? Oh, that's quite another set of new shoes, said the troop horse. Dick Cunliffe's on my back then and drives his knees into me and all I have to do is watch where I'm putting my feet and to keep my hind legs well under me and to be bridle-wise. What's bridle-wise, said the young mule. By the blue gums of the black blocks, snorted the troop horse, do you mean to say you aren't taught to be bridle-wise in your business? How can you do anything unless you can spin around at once when the rain is pressed on your neck? It means life or death to your man, and of course that's life or death to you. Get round with your hind legs under you the instant you feel the rain on your neck. If you haven't room to swing round, rear up a little and come round on your hind legs. That's being bridle-wise. Oh, we aren't taught that way said Billy the Mule stiffly. We're taught to obey the man at our head. Step off when he says so, and step in when he says so. I suppose it comes to the same thing. Now, with all this fine, fancy business and rearing, which must be very bad for your hawks, what do you do? Well, that depends, said the troop horse. Generally, I have to go in among a lot of yelling. Hairy men with knives, long, shiny knives, worse than the farrier's knives, and I have to take care that Dick's boot is just touching the next man's boot without crushing it. I can see Dick's lance to the right of my eye, and I know I'm safe. I shouldn't care to be the man or the horse that stood up to Dick and me when we're in a hurry. Don't the knives hurt? said the young mule. Well, I got one cut across the chest once, but uh, that wasn't Dick's fault. A lot I should have cared whose fault it was, if it hurt, said the young mule. Oh, you must, said the troop horse. If you don't trust your man, you may as well run away at once. That's what some of our horses do, and I don't blame them. As I was saying, it wasn't Dick's fault. The man was lying on the ground, and I stretched myself not to tread on him. And he slashed up at me. Next time I have to go over a man lying down, I shall step on him. Hard. Hmm, said Billy. It sounds very foolish. Knives are dirty things at any time. The proper thing to do is to climb up a mountain with a well-balanced saddle. Hang on by all four feet and your ears, too, and creep and crawl and wriggle along till you come out hundreds of feet above anyone else out on a ledge where there's just enough room for your hoofs. Then you stand still and keep quiet. Never ask a man to hold your head, young'un. Keep quiet while the guns are being put together. Then you watch the little poppy shells drop down over the treetops, ever so far down below. Don't you ever trip, said the troop horse. Well, they say when a mule trips, you can split a hen's ear, said Billy. Now and again, perhaps a badly packed saddle will upset a mule, but it's very seldom. I wish I could show you our business. It is beautiful. 
Why, it took me three years to find out what men were driving at. The science of the thing is never show up against the skyline, because if you do, you may get fired at. Remember that, young'un. Always keep hidden as much as possible, even if you have to go to a mile out of your way. I lead the battery when it comes to that sort of climbing. Fired at without the chance of running into the people who are firing, said the troop horse, thinking hard. I couldn't stand that. I would want to charge with Dick. Oh, no, you wouldn't. You know that as soon as the guns are in position, they'll do all the charging. That's scientific and neat. But knives? Pah! The baggage camel had been bobbing his head to and fro for some time past, anxious to get a word in edgewise, and then I heard him say, as he cleared his throat nervously, <coughs> I, I, I have fought a little, but not in that climbing way, or in that running way. Mm, no, now that you mention it, said Billy, you don't look as though you were made for climbing or running much. Well, how was it, old hay bales? <sighs> the proper way, said the camel. We all sat down. Oh, my crupper and breastplate, said the troop horse under his breath. Sat down? We sat down, a hundred of us, the camel went on, in a big square, and the men piled our packs and saddles outside the square, and they fired over our backs, the men did, on all sides of the square. What sort of men? Any men that came along? said the troop horse. They teach us in riding school to lie down and let our masters fire across us. But Dick Cunliffe is the only man I'd trust to do that. It tickles my girth, and besides, I can't see with my head on the ground. What does it matter who fires across you, said the camel. There are plenty of men, plenty of other camels close by, and many great clouds of smoke. I'm not frightened, then. I shall sit still and wait. And yet, said Billy, you dream bad dreams and upset the camp at night. Well, well, before I'd lie down, not to speak of sitting down, let a man fire across me, my heels and his head would have something to say to each other. Did you ever hear anything as awful as that? There was a long silence, and then one of the gun bullocks lifted up his big head and said, This is very foolish indeed. There's only one way of fighting. Go on, said Billy. Please don't mind me. I suppose you fellows fighting standing on your tails. Only one way, said the two together. They must have been twins. That is that way. This is that way, to put all twenty yoke of us to the big guns as soon as two tails trumpets. Two tails is camp slang for the elephant. What does two tails trumpet for, said the young mule, to show he's not going any nearer to the smoke on the other side. Two tails is a great coward, 
Then we tugged the big gun all together. hey ya hula hoo hulu We climb like cats, not like calves. We go across a level plain, twenty yoke of us, till we're unyoked again. And we graze while the big guns talk across the plain to some town with mud walls and pieces of the wall will fall out and the dust goes up as though many cattle were coming home. Oh, and you choose that time for grazing, said the young mule. That time or any other, eating's always good. We eat till we're yoked up again and tug the gun back to where Two Tails is waiting for it. Sometimes there are big guns in the city that speak back, and some of us are killed, and then there is all the more grazing for those of us that are left. This is fate, nonetheless. Two Tails is a great coward. That is the proper way to fight. We're brothers from Happer. Our father was a sacred bull of Shiva. We have spoken. Well, I have certainly learned something tonight, said the true horse. Do you gentlemen of the screw-gun battery feel inclined to eat when you're being fired at with big guns and two tails as behind you? About as much as we feel inclined to sit down and let men sprawl all over us or run into people with knives. I never heard of such stuff. A mountain ledge, a well-balanced load, a driver you can trust to let you pick your own way, and I'm your mule. But the other things? <laughs> no said Billy, with a stamp of his foot. Of course, said the troop horse, everyone is not made the same way. I can quite see that your family on your father's side would fail to understand a, a great many things. Never you mind my family on my father's side, said Billy angrily, for every mule hates to be reminded that his father was a donkey. My father was a southern gentleman. He could pull down and bite and kick into rages every horse he came across. Remember that, you big brown brumbry. Brumby means wild horse without any breeding. Imagine the feelings of Sinol, of a car horse called her a skate, and you can imagine how the Australian horse felt. I saw the white of his eye glitter in the dark. See here, you son of an imported mulliga jackass, he said between his teeth. I'd have you know that I'm related on my mother's side to Carbine, winner of the Melbourne Cup. And where I come from, we aren't accustomed to being ridden over rod-shod by any parrot-mouthed, pig-headed mule in a pop-gun pea-shooter battery. Are you ready on your hind legs, squealed Billy. They both reared up facing each other, and I was expecting a furious fight when a gurgly, rumbly voice called out of the darkness to the right. Children, what are you fighting about there? Be quiet. Both beasts dropped down with a snort of disgust, for neither horse nor mule can bear to listen to an elephant's voice. It's two tails, said the troop horse. I can't stand him. A tail at each end. It isn't fair. My feelings exactly, said Billy, 
crowding into the troop horse for company. We're very alike in some things. I suppose we've inherited them from our mothers, said the troop horse. It's, it's not worth quarreling about. Hi, Two Tails. Are you tied up? Yes, said Two Tails with a laugh all up from his trunk. I'm picketed for the night. I've, I've heard what you fellows have been saying, but don't be afraided. I'm not coming over. The bullocks and the camel said half aloud, Afraid of two tails? What nonsense! And the bullocks went on, We're sorry that you heard, but, but it's true. Two tails, why are you afraid of the guns when they fire? Well, said two tails, rubbing one hind leg against the other, exactly like a little boy saying a poem. I don't quite know whether you'd understand. We don't. But we have to pull the guns, said the bullocks. I know it, and I know you are a good deal braver than you think you are. But it's different with me. My battery captain called me pachydermatous anachronism the other day. That's another way of fighting, I suppose, said Billy, who was recovering his spirits. You don't know what that means, of course, but I do. It means betwixt and between, and that is just where I am. I can see inside my head what will happen when a shell bursts, and you bullocks can't. I can, said the troop horse, at least a little bit. I, I try not to think about it. I can see more than you, and I do not think about it. I know there's a great deal of me to take care of, and I know that nobody knows how to cure me when I'm sick. All they can do is stop my driver's pay till I get well, and I can't trust my driver. Ah, said the troop horse, that explains it. I can trust Dick. You could put a whole regiment of dicks on my back without making me feel any better. I know just enough to be uncomfortable and not enough to go on in spite of it. We don't understand, said the bullocks. I know you don't, and I'm not talking to you. You don't know what blood is. We do, said the bullocks. It's the red stuff that soaks in the ground and smells. The troop horse gave a kick and a bound and a snort. Don't talk of it, he said. I can smell it now, just thinking of it. it makes me want to run when I haven't dick on my back. But it's not here, said the camels and the bullocks. Why are you so stupid? It's vile stuff, said Billy. I don't want to run, but I don't want to talk about it. There you are, said Two Tails, waving his tail to explain. Surely, said the bullocks. Yes, we've been here all night. Two Tails stamped his foot till the iron ring on it jingled. Oh, I'm not talking to you. You can't see inside your heads. No, we see out of our four eyes, said the bullocks. We see straight in front of us. If I could do that and nothing else, you wouldn't be needed to pull the big guns at all. If I was like my captain, he can see things inside his head before the firing begins, and he shakes all over. But he knows too much to run away. If I was like him, I could pull the guns. But if I were as wise as all that, I should never be here. I should be a king in the forest, as I used to be, 
sleeping half the day and bathing when I liked. I haven't had a good bath for a month. Oh, that's all fine, said Billy, but giving a thing a long name doesn't make it any better. <sighs> said the troop horse. I think I understand what Two-Tailed means. You'll understand better in a minute, said Two-Tails angrily. Now you just explain to me why you don't like this. He began trumpeting furiously at the top of his trumpet. Stop that, said Billy and the troop horse together. I could hear them stamp and shiver. An elephant's trumpeting is always nasty, and especially on a dark night. I shan't stop, said Two-Tails. Won't you explain that, please? Hrump, frump, fra! And he suddenly stopped. And I heard a little whimper in the dark. And I knew that Vixen had found me at last. She knew as well that I did that if there's one thing in the world the elephant is more afraid of than other, it is a little barking dog. So she stopped the bully Two-Tails in his picket and yapped around his big feet. Two tails scuffled and squeaked. Go away, little dog, he said. Don't snuff at my ankles or I'll kick you. Good little dog, nice doggy then. Go home, you yelping little beast. Oh, why doesn't someone take her away? She'll bite me in a minute. Seems to me, said Billy to the troop horse, our friend Two Tails is afraid of most things. Now, if I had a full meal for every dog I've kicked across the parade ground, I should be as, as fat as two tails. I whistled, and Vixen ran up to me muddy all over and licked my nose and told me a long tale about hunting for me all through the camp. I never let her know that I understood beast talk or she would have taken all sorts of liberties. So I buttoned her into the breast of my overcoat and Two-Tails shuffled and stomped and growled to himself. Extraordinary, most extraordinary, he said. It runs in our family. Now, you gentlemen were alarmed, I believe, when I trumpeted. Mm, not alarmed, exactly, said the troop horse, but it made me feel as though I had hornets where my saddle ought to be. Don't begin again. I'm frightened of a little dog, and the camel here is frightened by bad dreams in the night. It's very lucky for us that we haven't all got to fight in the same way, said the troop horse. What I want to know, said the young mule, who'd been quiet for a long time. What I want to know is, why do we have to fight at all? Because we're told to, said the troop horse, with a snort of contempt. Orders! said Billy the Mule, and his teeth snapped. Hook'em high! It's an order, said the camel with a gurgle, and two tails and the bullocks repeated. Hook'em high! Yes, but who gives the orders, said the recruit mule. The man who walks at your head, or sits on your back, or holds the noose rope, or twists your tail, said Billy and the troop horse, and the camel, and the bullocks, one after the other. But who gives them the orders? Now you want to know too much, young'un, said Billy, and that is one way of getting kicked. All you have to do is obey the man at your head, 
and ask no questions. It's quite right, said Two Tails. I can't always obey because I'm betwixt and between, but Billy's right. Obey the man next to you who gives the order, or you'll stop all the battery besides getting a thrashing. The gun bullocks got up to go. Morning's coming, they said. We'll go back to our lines. It's true that we only see out of our eyes, and we're not very clever, but still, we are the only people tonight who've not been afraid. Good night, you brave people. Well, nobody answered, and the horse troop said to change the conversation, Where's that little dog? A dog means a man somewhere about. Here I am, yapped Vixen, under the tail gun with my man. You big blundering beast of a camel, you upset our tent. My man is very angry. Phew, said the bullocks. He must be white. Of course he is, said Vixen. You suppose I'm looked after by a black bullock driver? Pooh, said the bullocks. Let us get away quickly. They plunged forward in the mud and managed somehow to run their yoke on the pole of an ammunition wagon where it jammed. Now you've done it, said Billy calmly. Don't struggle. You're hung up till daylight. What on earth is the matter? All the bullocks went off into the long hissing snorts that Indian cattle give and pushed and crowded, slewed and stamped and slipped and nearly fell down in the mud grunting savagely. "'You'll break your neck in a minute,' said the troop horse. "'And what's the matter with white men? I live with them. "'They eat us.' "'Pull,' said the near bullock. "'The yoke snapped with a twang, and they lumbered off together. "'I never knew before what made Indian cattle so scared of Englishmen. "'We eat beef, a thing that no cattle driver touches.' And, of course, the cattle do not like it. May I be flogged with my own pad chains? Who'd have thought of two big lumps like those losing their heads, said Billy. And never mind. I'm going to look at this man. Most of the white men I know have things in their pockets, said the troop horse. I'll leave you then. I can't say I'm over-fond of him myself. Besides, white men who haven't a place to sleep are in more than likely to be thieves, and I've a good deal of government property on my back. Come along, young'un. We'll go back to our lines. Good night, Australia. See you on parade tomorrow, I suppose. Good night, old hay bale. Try to control your feelings, won't you? Good night, two tails. And if you pass us on the ground tomorrow, don't trumpet. It spoils our formation. Billy the mule stomped off with the swaggering limp of an old campaigner as the troop horse's head came nuzzling into my breast and I gave him biscuits, while Vixen, who is a most conceited little dog, told him fibs about the scores of horses that she and I kept. I'm coming to the parade tomorrow in my dog cart, she said. Where will you be? On the left hand of the second squadron. I set the time for all my troop, little lady he said politely, and now I must go back to Dick. My tail's all muddy, and he'll have two hours' hard work dressing me for the parade. The big parade of the 30,000 men was held that afternoon, and Vixen and I had a good place, close to the Viceroy, 
and the Amir of Afghanistan, with high big black hat of Astrakhan wool and the great diamond star in the center. The first part of the review was all sunshine, and the regiment went in wave upon wave of legs, all moving together and all their guns in line, till our eyes grew dizzy. Then the cavalry went up to the beautiful cavalry center of Bonnie Dundee, and Vixen cocked her ear when she sat on the dog cart. The second squadron of the lancers shot by, and there was the troop horse, with his tail like spun silk, his head pulled onto his breast, one ear forward and one back, setting the time for all his squadron, his legs going as smoothly as waltz music. Then the big guns came by, and I saw two tails and two other elephants harnessed in line to a forty-pounder siege gun, while twenty yoke of oxen walked behind. The seventh pair had a new yoke, and they looked rather stiff and tired. Last came the screw guns, and Billy the Mule carried himself as though he commanded all the troops, and his harness was oiled and polished till it winked. I gave a cheer all by myself for Billy the Mule, but he never looked right or left. The rain began to fall again, and for a while it was too misty to see what the troops were doing. They'd made big half-circles across the plain and were spreading out into a line. That line grew and grew till it was three-quarters of a mile from wing to wing, one solid wall of men, horses, and guns. And then it came on straight toward the Viceroy and the Amir, as it got nearer the ground, began to shake, like the deck of a steamer when the engines are going fast. Unless you've been there, you cannot imagine what a frightening effect the steady come-down of troops has on the spectators, even when they know it's only a review. I looked up at the Amir. Up till then he had not shown the shadow of a sign of astonishment or anything else. But now his eyes began to get bigger and bigger, and he picked up the reins on his horse's neck and looked behind him. For a minute, it seemed as though he were going to draw his sword and slash his way out through the English men and women of the carriages in the back. Then the advance stopped dead. The ground stood still, and the whole line saluted, and thirty bands began to all play together. That was the end of the review, and the regiments went off to their camps in the rain, and an infantry band struck up with, the animals went in two by two, hurrah. The animals went in two by two, the elephant and the battery mule, and they all got into the ark for to get out of the rain. And then I heard an old, grizzled, long-haired Central Asian chef, chief, who'd come down with the mirror, asking questions of a native officer. Now, he said, in what manner was this wonderful thing done? And the officer said, an order was given, and they obeyed. But 
Are the beasts as wise as the men? Asked the chief. They obey as men do. Mule, horse, elephant, bullock, he obeys his driver, and the driver his sergeant, and the sergeant his lieutenant, and the lieutenant his captain, and the captain his major, and the major his colonel, and the colonel his brigadier commanding three regiments, and the brigadier the general who obeys the viceroy, who is the servant of the empress. Thus it is done. <sighs> Would it were so in Afghanistan, said the chief, for there we obey only our own wills. And for that reason, said the native officer, twirling his mustache, your emir, whom you do not obey, must come here and take orders from our viceroy. Wow. Whew. That's the end. <laughs> I know I went way over tonight, but I figured what the hell we'll wrap it up. That's incredible. That is The Jungle Book from 1894 by Rudyard Kipling. Goodness, goodness me. A very long chapter, but we've done it. The end of The Jungle Book. All right, my friends, it won't take a lot of time. We're just going to say good night and thank you very much for joining in. Uh, next time we will do Peter Cottontail. It's coming up. So it's, it's a one show book. Trust me. Very quick one. I will see you again on uh, Monday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. Thanks for sticking with me. And I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>